1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning. Uh, we'll start in uh, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to read through so that uh, the full impact of what Paul is saying in this text to the church uh, can, be, can be clear to us. Uh, I, I believe strongly that, that uh, in the local church that we ought to be reading extended portions of Scripture on a regular basis, that that's important. Paul says, uh, until I come, he says this to Timothy, pay attention to the reading of Scripture, uh, that, that people hear the word. Uh, Romans chapter 10 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And, and so we do well to prioritize the reading of Scripture as a church. First uh, Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, Paul says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants... And he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. 
But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all that you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we may share that rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, like the refuse of all things. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to, to open your word, and I thank you that you speak to us through your word. I pray, Father, that as we have spent an extended amount of time this summer focusing on our mission, which is to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself, and to make disciples and as we've spent time focusing on the fact that the, the church ought to be not friendly with the world, but friendly toward the people in the world who need the good news. And as we've spent time talking about the fact that we are called to share and we are called to bless and we're called to have compassion Father, I pray that you would continue to shift our focus, that you would continue to shift our view of ourself, and that we might continue to, to grow in our partnership with you. Not salvation, Lord, because you give us the good things that we need in Christ. You give it to us wholly in Christ. You fill us with righteousness when we put our faith and trust in Christ. You adopt us. You cancel out our sins. You put your spirit within us that we would yearn for you and, and call out to you and grow. And on the last day, when either we go to be with you or you come to receive us to yourself, Lord, you will be the one who transforms us.
But you call us to partner with you in the work that you're doing in the world, Lord, and to embrace it and to be part of it. To be those who bring the Holy Spirit into our workplace and into our family and into our daily life. And so we pray that you would help us to see that, to capture that vision and to see ourselves as servants and not just as those who are to be served. We thank you for Paul's words in this regard, and we pray that that we would open ourselves to your spirit, that we might hear. Lord, change us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, One of the... um, One of the troubles that I think uh, believers encounter, and I think think people in general encounter this, is uh, that they have a wrong vision of the self. Um, One one of the, the truths that we believe which is essential to the gospel, is that we believe in the, in the sinfulness of man, right? We believe that all people, that, that all people have sinned against God, that they have, they have missed the mark, right? That's what the scripture says. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The, the image there is, is of trying to hit an arrow or trying to hit a target with an arrow, right? You, you hit a target with an arrow. Uh, and, and so the idea of, of aiming and, and firing and that arrow falling short, right? That's the st- we, we don't measure up to God's standards of righteousness. And so we need Christ. We need, we need him to cancel out our, our sins and to give us his righteousness so that we can be whole in, in God's eyes. Uh, we acknowledge that as believers. We say, I'm called to repent of my sins and to, and to call upon a savior. But part of the, part of the problem is, is that we can embrace that humility in, in a number of ways, right? We can, we can refuse to embrace humility as Christians, and, and we can have a, an extremely high view of ourselves and say, you know, God looked at me and thought that heaven wouldn't be complete without me, you know, like in that, and, and we, and yeah, that, that, that gets a chuckle or a laugh because it, it, that's, that's absurd to some folks, right? But, but we can, uh, be, we can, we can grow uh, uh, proud in our talents or our abilities, our, our, our contribution to whether it's the, the church or our workplace, and we could say, you know what, I'm, I'm actually pretty good at stuff. And therefore, it, it makes sense that God would bless me. Many times this is a problem with, with Christian, some Christian leaders is that they have too high a view of themselves or their role, and that gets them into trouble. I think more common is that believers have a view of themselves that's too low. Right? Think about this. The scriptures teach that we are sinners. That's true. But the scriptures also teach that we have become saints, right? We're, we're accustomed to uh, attaching the word sinner to ourselves if we know the gospel. And, and I believe if, if we put our faith and trust in Christ, we're like, yeah, I get it. I'm a sinner. Um, and then we start talking about the word saint, and then people start to get a little nervous, right? Like, they don't, don't want to pin that term on themselves. You probably don't have it on your business card or at the end of your email, right? You know, saint Keith. Right? Because that would be strange. But it's too high a view of ourselves many times, right? We, we, we just think, we think, I don't want to go there. Here, here's the problem, though. Um, if we don't embrace 
the fact that in Christ we have been given his righteousness. Think about this. In Christ, you possess the very righteousness of God. That's what the scripture says. For our sake, he became sin, even though he knew no sin, so that in him we could become become the righteousness of God. Those words are not put together by accident. If you are in Christ, you have the very righteousness of God applied to you. Right? That's also something you probably don't lead with in conversation, right? If we don't view ourselves as that, if we don't view ourselves as filled with the Holy Spirit, as given gifts, as given a role and given a place, and we just view ourselves as sinners, we may sit on the bench forever. We may never engage the work which God has given to us. And so part of uh, the practice that um, his name is vanishing right now, uh, one author, how do you like that? Uh, he, he says that on a, on a regular basis, we ought to be preaching the gospel to ourselves. We ought to preach the gospel to ourselves so that we bring ourselves to a place where, where we're appropriating the benefits of what Christ has done for us and applying them to ourselves, but we're also grounding ourselves in reality. I'm just going to agonize over the name of this guy until I think of it. So, like, expect me to just, like, blurt his name out at some point. You know, maybe, like, next week this will happen. You know, I'll, I'll go to the, to the shelf and I'll look at the books and I'll say, oh, yeah, it's there. It's that guy. Uh, what I want to look at is, is four roles related to the, to the ministry that we've been given in the church, right? If you have put your faith and trust in Christ, you've not just been put on the bench until Jesus returns. You've been invited in to uh, a grand plan which God is unfolding throughout the remainder of human history. He's doing something in the world, and he's not like certain group of special people can be part of it, and certain people can't. If you are in Christ, if you possess salvation, if you have been made righteous by him by putting your faith and trust in him, then you have been given spiritual gifts and you are called to be part of what God is doing. As we read through this passage, Paul very clearly embraces his fallenness and sinfulness, doesn't he? He talks about the fact that he is weak and persecuted and that he's not strong and he talks about that he's held in low regard and he hungers and thirsts and and he names all of these these things and he embraces his low identity but he also doesn't neglect all of the benefits which he has received and the way in which the lord has called and fitted him to do the work of ministry what was, what was going on in, in the church at this point is that, is that people were saying, well, my teacher, the guy who preached the gospel to me is this guy, Apollos, and, and he knows the way, and I'm his disciple, and I'm not like those guys who follow Paul or who follow some other teacher, like, because, because Apollos is a much better preacher than Paul is, and, you know, he's a little messed up in his theology here, and he doesn't do all these things right, and this happened to him, but Apollos, and this, so they're like, I'm with him, and I'm not with 
him. Paul takes this head on, right? He, he, just, he just confronts this. What is Apollos? What is Paul? I would say, what is, insert preacher name here, right? Insert author name here. Insert church name here. What are these things? Paul gives the answer. He says, they are servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. This is the the first shift or 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 uh, identity that we need to take on ourselves if we're in Christ. We're servants, all of us. Anyone who's put their faith and trust in him has become a servant. And what is a servant? A servant is somebody who executes the commands of another, right? Who, who serves. Classic example and and. I've done a really good job restraining myself. Um, you know, when I, when I go through the drive-through at Chick-fil-A, right, you know, you pull up, you order your food, and if they're outside, you know, with the, with the iPad, and, and you say, oh, I want this, substitute that, change this, like no pickles on this, you know, and you get this complex order for your family that you hand over. And then when they're all done placing the order, they say, it's my pleasure. And I always want to say, really? Like, was that your great joy? To, like, like, were you waiting all day for me to pull up and place an order so that you could get these things right? But you know what? Some of them, I actually believe it. You know what I mean? They've just, they've embraced this identity that, that has been imposed on them by human resources and corporate, you know, that it is their pleasure. They view themselves as servants. Now, you go to another restaurant and you go in there and you order something and you're like, can I have this? And they look at you like, really? Are you going to complicate my life by, by, with all your distinctions? Like, how about just eat it the way we prep it, man? What is that? Like, one is a servant and one is not. Servants exist to serve. Look at what Paul says about the servants here. He says, Apollos and Paul are servants through whom people believe as the Lord has assigned to each. As the Lord has assigned, okay? Each Christian has a role in the kingdom. Each believer has something that they're called to do. Something that they have been fitted and prepped for. And it comes from the Lord. In the parable of the talents, a talent was a piece of money, not like a skill, you know, or, or something that you're naturally good at. My talent is drawing pictures, right? You know, or doodling or whatever. My talent is, is playing a musical instrument. We've, we've called it that. We've actually taken the word talent from a, a piece of ancient money, and we've just kind of carried it over because of this, this parable. In the parable of the talents, one guy's got ten pieces of money, and another guy's got five, and one's got one, and the guy with the one buries it in the ground and doesn't use it because it was just a little. It was insignificant, and he didn't want to lose it or mess it up, right? The Lord, the master, comes back and says, you know, what did you do with what I entrusted you? And one guy's like, I had ten, and I invested it, and it produced ten, that's awesome, right? I had five, and I invested it, and I produced five. And the guy who had one did nothing with it. He buried it in the ground. He says, here's your talent back. And he says, what did you, you wasted it. Wasted the opportunity. 
We're supposed to use what's been entrusted to us in the interests of our master. Servant is not just something that we acknowledge and say that we are. Servant, the identity of a servant is distinguished by active service. And as Christians, we take not just the title upon ourselves, but the actual work. And we say, these talents and these abilities and these skills that I've been given are to be used in his service. They're they're to be used for the purpose to which they have been given to me. Now, many times, people are taught to serve the needs of the organization, right? They're taught to serve the the needs of of the dominant mindset or the dominant group. This is why the person who doesn't want to uh, make your sandwiches the way that you want them at the restaurant is able to get away with it because they don't want to cause trouble for the kitchen, right? They They don't want to be bothered. They don't want to have to make exceptions. And that organization says, hey, that's fine, right? But when the focus is on the people, when the focus is on the benefit of the people, and on the mission of the Lord, then priorities fall into place. What is Apollos and what is Paul? They are servants, it says, through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. This, and this is what Paul is saying is important. It doesn't matter if you're Apollos or Paul. It doesn't matter who shared the gospel with you. It doesn't matter who preached. The, those, those honors and those distinctions, who's better and who's best, they are meaningless. What is important is that someone shared with you and you believed. That was the Lord's intent. The intent is not who's better. The intent is that people actually hear the gospel and respond to it as the Lord has assigned to each. Jesus is a, a model of servanthood for us. In John chapter 13, as the disciples are arguing over who is the greatest, Jesus tells them, the greatest among you will be your servant. And to model that, he humbles himself and serves them. He takes on the role of the the lowest servant in the household and he washes their feet dirty from from the road. He gives an example of servanthood. The biggest obstacle to serving, the biggest obstacle to serving people, I believe, is that serving is difficult. Serving is messy. Serving... Uh, can be dirty at times. Think about it. When you use a towel, right? Jesus took a towel and he used it to wash his disciples' feet. When he was all done, that towel was dirty, right? It wasn't like, oh, boy, this is, this is great. This feels so clean and, and wonderful and freeing. It was difficult and it took something out of them of him. Uh, when, when we serve, right, 
uh, sometimes we'll feel a bit like a tube of toothpaste, right? You see, you see how some people, in, in our household, we've got several different kinds of toothpaste users. We've got like from the bottom, from the middle, you know, just kind of mash it, you know. And we've got close the cap, we've got leave the cap off, we've got where did, in the world did the cap go, right? And so you find this tube of toothpaste and it's like, what happened here, right? But that's what happens when you use a toothpaste, right? The, the, the role of the tube is to be squeezed and mangled and emptied until it's empty. Serving can leave you feeling empty at times. It can leave you feeling a bit used. That's why it's important to focus on, on the purpose of, of serving. You have been given something. You have been filled with Something, some talent, some skill, some ability, but you also know the truth and the Holy Spirit lives within you and therefore you're able to deliver the truth where it needs to go. That is the design of God. Paul says in verse 6, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. God's the one who gave the life there. He's the one who did the work. Many times we, we, we find joy in receiving. We find joy in being served because that makes us feel important or, or, or valued. But, but the Lord calls us to, to serve and not just to give what we've been received, but, in, but, but to use what we're best at to benefit others. If you have that kind of experience where, where you are like, I have this talent or I have this skill, I am good at construction or math or speaking or I am I am good at being creative or I'm good at uh, uh, design or I'm good at painting and somebody says hey I have a need and you meet that need and while you're doing it you just feel like this is great I enjoy using what I'm good at for the benefit of others you feel fully alive when you're doing what you've been called to do what you're good at. Paul calls us to view ourselves as servants in accomplishing the task of of taking the gospel where it needs to go. If we don't see ourselves as as serving that end and we see ourselves as as needy and needing to be served or or as, as lowly sinners who are unable to do anything good ever, then we will miss the chance to take part in the mission that God has given to us. And so the call is to embrace that identity and to say, yes, I am a servant, and and to pass that understanding on to others. Look, it's not just about you being served, it's about serving. So a servant. Second, we're to view ourselves as as co-workers. Paul says this, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. We are God's fellow workers. Now, that might be one of those things, too, that if it weren't written right there, you would say, that's a little crazy. I'm not sure I want to, like, I'm not sure I want to say that. that. That God and I are co-workers. 
That's what's, that's what's written in the text right there. You might say, that sounds blasphemous to say that. God's so much above me. He's, he's, he's farther uh, beyond. He's so far beyond me. He doesn't have the skills that I have. He's, like, he's, he's way out there, and I'm down here. Have you ever worked with young kids, right? If you've ever uh, uh, worked with somebody who is just starting out doing something, yeah, they lack the skills and the ability, but they grow, right? If you've ever had to work with other people because that's the way the company works, then you got to work with other people, right? The way that God has designed his kingdom is that he has partnered with people to do the work of advancing the gospel. He works with and through people. The word that's used here, co-workers, soon ergos, talks about uh, being companions or, or fellow laborers in the work. Co-workers. We're called within the church to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, right? The, the image that's, that's there in the scripture is the idea that uh, a believer has this wheelbarrow full of stuff that they've got to move, right? And you can't move it on your own. If you've ever tried to move a, a giant wheelbarrow full of mulch, which I have, you know, like, okay, and it's rickety and it's all, you're balancing it on one wheel and if it's not loaded properly, like the whole thing can tip over, it's super helpful. Even if they're not excellent at spreading mulch, Right? It's super helpful to have somebody else just to steady it. Just to, just to be there and to, and to hold on to it. So that you don't spill it. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Help one another. That's one of the ways in which we can be co-workers with each other. And think about this. You are co-working with God when you do that. When somebody says, you know what, I've got this thing that I'm dealing with that is too big for me, and you come along and you help them, you are God's gracious response to their need in their life. You're You're the human being who's showed up to help them in their time of need that God sent to them, the answer to their need. You are co-working with him. There's some beauty and diversity that's, that's seen here in this concept of co-workers. Um, we, we, we take this agricultural analogy about planting and, and, and watering, and we apply it to other passages where, where the advance of the gospel is, is, is laid out. And Uh, We're told that one plows, one waters, one sows, one reaps. We don't all do the same thing. We've got different talents. But think about that, right? If, if, If one plows and one waters, one plows and one sows, one sows and one reaps, that means that all those people have got to be there in order for anything to happen, right? If the plowman doesn't show up to turn over the ground and we throw out seeds, they just sit on top of the ground. If the person who's going to water never shows up to water, well, then the seed just lays in the ground. And if the seed grows up and no one comes along and harvests it, it just dies in the field. All of these jobs are connected. I was thinking of how, how strange a chain is. You've thought about this, right? Chains are, are made out of something strong and resilient, right? 
They're, they're made out of something that is, that is tough. It, it doesn't bend. It doesn't break, right? You can hammer on some chains, and, and they, don't, uh, they, they don't shift or deform or anything because they're, they're made out of metal. But they're also chains, by definition, are resilient and flexible, aren't they? Isn't that strange? To you, it's made out of metal, and yet it's like bendy and flexible. That's cool. That's the way that the church is. We're, we're called to have strength and to, to, to be able to accomplish things, and you've been given talents and abilities. Some people are good planners, and others are good at, at speaking. Some people are really good at, at noticing that certain things need to get done, and other people are like, just please tell me what to do, because I, I just don't see. Oh, you need me to do that? Okay, I'll do it. Right? Flexible and yet able and, and strong. But you take some of those links out of that chain and it loses what it is. It's no longer a chain. It's just a, a stack of links. It can no longer accomplish what it's supposed to accomplish. Part of being a co-worker is acknowledging what it is that the Lord has called us to. I'm good at I'm good at giving a good impression of Christians or showing that the word is, is reasonable. That's plowing, right? Turning up ground, talking with people and saying, well, what do you think spiritually? Other people are good at sowing. They're just good at throwing out reminders about well, who the Lord is or, or sharing scripture in a natural way. Other people are, are good at reaping. They're good at saying, so how is it with you and Jesus? Like, are you making any, uh, any, any steps forward? Like, what are you doing with what you've learned? And other people are, are good at, at watering. They're good at just, just being gracious and kind to people. Sharing. And all of those different talents and skills are not in competition. They are in connection. They're, they're, they're part of a, of a whole work. There's unity of purpose. Apollos and Paul were not in competition, and we aren't in competition with other believers or other churches if they're preaching the gospel and the truth. The laborers are the workers in the harvest. They don't produce the harvest. The Lord gives the increase through their work. And so we need to see ourselves as, as co-workers with what God is doing. Now, it is, it is true. There are times where we need to say, you know what? I've shared and I've been faithful, and I've, I've, I've shared with this person, and I've talked with them, and, and I've, I've offered the truth to them, or I have tried to do this or that, and, and it just doesn't seem to be having an effect, and it's okay to rest and to say, you know what, I've, I've done what I think I can. But what we shouldn't do, what we shouldn't do is say, well, the Lord's going to accomplish his will in that person or call them to himself no matter what I do. And use that as an excuse to do nothing. Which is what we do, sadly, sometimes, isn't it? It just doesn't feel like the right time. I'm just not going to say anything. You know, I got a good relationship with this person. If I get all, like, confronty about Jesus and whatnot, they may be turned off. That's, that's part of the message of the gospel. It's an offense. We need to make sure that we're willing to actually share if we love these people or if we believe that they're truly in need. We do the work, and we trust that the Lord is going to do his work. We're co-workers. He calls us to sow, 
he calls us to to plow, to water, and to reap. And, and, and we depend on him to do the work. We are co-workers. The third image that, that Paul uses here is um, an under rower. This one is fun. I didn't, I didn't see this prior. Uh, Paul says this in, in chapter 4, verse 1. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. The dictionaries say that the word here for servants is huperetes, right? Okay, that's different than the, the normal word for servant, which is uh, diakonos, which is where we get the word deacon from. This is a, a different word. We translate it the same way in English, servants, right? But the, the word here is, is used in, uh, in ancient Greek literature, uh, to to indicate somebody who is a rower, right? An under rower. The, have you ever seen a picture of a Greek trireme or uh, one of those massive warships, right? The idea is get as big a ship as possible so you can fit as many soldiers in it or as many catapults on it, and, and then you could throw lots of stuff at your enemy, right? Lots of soldiers, lots of flaming balls of fire or whatever, you know? But the more stuff you load on that boat, the heavier it gets. And so you need, in order to make that thing move, you need like two or 300 guys under deck on these long oars rowing, right? If you've seen people do uh, crew, rowing, right? You got the guy in front, he's got the little megaphone, and he's like, row, row, or whatever it is that he says. I've never, I've never done this before. Um, and all those guys row in time. And when I was young, I was like, that's dumb. Why does that guy get to sit in that seat? And those guys have got to do all the work. Well, the one sitting in the seat up front is the one who's making sure that they're all working together, right? He's, he's given the signal to keep things in time, to keep things in order, on the big boat, the guy who's keeping time, who's giving the commands is above deck and everybody else is below. And they can't see the guy up top. They don't know where they're going. They don't know how, how uh, much progress they're making. They probably can feel the speed that things are moving maybe, but they can't see it. They don't know where, where they're going or what they're doing necessarily. Only the task that's in front of them they, they are below deck and they follow the commands of the unseen captain. Now here is, is part of why I believe this is so important. A piece of the role of a servant is not to judge or evaluate the work as it's going on. Right? The, the, the task is to do the task. And so... You may share the word with somebody, and it makes no difference. You may share a message with somebody. You might be kind to somebody. You might offer to help someone, and you think, well, what did that amount to? And there's no response to it, right? It's not our job to evaluate the effects of service. It's our job to serve. What happens many times is you'll hear from somebody later on, you know what, you did this and that made an impression on me. Or you shared this and that was super helpful. A lot of times you, you preach or you share, you know, sometimes when I preach over at the college, you know what happens? I'm, I'm done and I think, wow, I wonder how I did, right? 
maybe, maybe I did, maybe I think I did well, but I didn't. Maybe I think I did well, and I did, right? Maybe I think I did bad, and I did good. Maybe I think I did bad, and I did bad, right? <laughs> those are the four, those are all the only four results from preaching, by the way, I, I think that, that you can have, right? But you know what will happen? Many times, I'll see someone, and I don't even know who they are. Like, I'll run into them somewhere, and they say, you preached on campus like three years ago. Yeah? And they're like, you talked about suffering. That was so helpful. You know, and I'm like, why didn't you tell me it was helpful? Three years ago, when I was done, you know, instead, you just talk to each other. The message is over, and they just talk to one another. And I'm like, give me some feedback. I'm, I'm fragile here and weak, you know, and I need positive affirmation. But here's the thing. They don't know it's helpful until they go through suffering, right? They don't, they don't know the, the benefit until, until they're under pressure. And this is the way it is with you at work and with you in kindness and in sharing and all those things. What, what happens is, is you, are, you, are, you are forging a path. You are doing work in the Lord, through the Lord, because you're being obedient to his commands when he says, row and you row. You share, you serve, you love, and you set the stage for what the Lord is going to do in the future. You have no idea. No idea what the Lord is going to do. Now, he wasn't a Christian, but Gutenberg, right? You know, he was, he was actually a bit of a scoundrel. He thought handwritten Bibles are really expensive. I'll invent movable wooden type, you know, and then we'll mass produce them and make tons of money, Right? You know, we'll, we'll produce these things uh, for a much lower expense and, and we'll make some cash, right? And so he's got this idea of what he's going to do. And you know what happens when he invents movable type? Gospel and missions explosion. Because Christians are like, oh, mass production of the Bible? We can use this, right? He had no idea what was happening when he did this. And it changed the world. We have no idea what our kindness or service or sharing of the word will accomplish. Last roll. Verse 4 and 2. This is how one should regard us as servants, under rowers of Christ, and as stewards of the mystery of God. Then Paul says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Stewards of the mysteries of God. A steward is a, a manager or an overseer of a household. They, they own nothing, but they manage things for the, the master. Keys placed in their hand, money in their hand, authority in their hand. Here, I give you everything. Use it. What does Jesus tell Peter after his confession of, of faith? Peter says, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And, and, and Peter's response is, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He's, he's talking there about the, the proclamation of the gospel and the offer of the forgiveness of sin. And he's saying, if, if somebody confesses their sin and you say you are forgiven because of their faith in Christ, then they are forgiven in heaven, just as it's been said on earth. Authority to open and shut. We have incredible power to change the world because of the gospel message. Change people's destinies. The question is, 
Are we using what we've been entrusted with? Stewards are called to be dependable, reliable, and responsible. It says here it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. Here's my, 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 my challenge as we close. If, if you think, I, I just barely entered the kingdom of God. Like, I am just such a scummy, lowly, horrible, rotten, scum of the earth sinner. Like, Jesus barely accepts me. I would say this. Open yourself up to the truth of what the scripture says about what we are like in Christ. You are purified. You have been given talents and skills by God. He calls you a steward, a co-worker, an under-rower, and a servant. You have been given tremendous treasures to use for the Lord, for his glory, and for your joy. And so the question is, will you be faithful with that? Or will you neglect it? It's been required, it's required, Paul says, of stewards that they be found faithful. So the encouragement is to to take these truths upon yourself, to, to take this identity on yourself if you are in Christ, and to go and to live out this good news for us and for others each and every day. Let's pray as we close. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning and to, and to share this word. I pray that if there's anyone here who's hearing the gospel for the first time, who's, who's hearing this news, that they are accepted and loved because of the work of Christ, I pray that they would put their faith and trust in you, Lord, and then tell someone about it. Father, thank you for the fact that you don't save us and then put us on the bench and call us sinners for the rest of our lives. I pray that we would humbly embrace this incredible opportunity to serve and to work together with you to advance your kingdom. Father, I pray that we would be faithful in what you've entrusted to us, that we might share with those who have need, that we might be kind, that we might share the word, that we might build your church in this world, Lord, because you are in us and doing that work. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness. We pray your blessing on us as we seek to live out these truths for your glory and our joy. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together.